You're listening to Parkway's podcast. But this morning I want to share something. I have never, this, this passage of scripture became so real to me in the last 48 uh, uh, or more hours. It's Deuteronomy chapter 32. And uh, the context is uh, God is speaking to the nation of Israel and he calls them Jacob in uh, this passage of scripture, but he's speaking to Israel about how he took them out of bondage, took them out of Egypt, and brought them into a land of their own. And Exodus 19 and 20 uh, speaks to that. And so I just want to uh, start at verse 8, and it says, When the Most High gave nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob or Israel is his allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. And here's our key verse this morning, verse 11. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions, which is just it, the, the spot between its uh, two wings on the back. He carries them on his pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. Verse 11, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinion. I love when biblical illustrations uh, speak to us in such a powerful way. And God has been speaking to me through the illustration of the eagle. And as I was reading that verse, I thought, what is that verse talking about? Stirring up the nest, carrying it. I thought, uh, eagles don't carry their, their babies on their backs. They do. And I'm going to show you the lesson. I'm going to show you this morning how the Lord used this passage of Scripture to just kind of show me kind of the journey of our church for the last year and a half, and probably, I believe, uh, many of your journeys as well. We have been on a journey, uh, and I believe that this passage of Scripture will also speak to our coming days, uh, as well as, uh, for us corporately, as well as you individually. Uh, Do you know that eagles can hover in one spot like a hummingbird? Uh, Steve knew that. I didn't know that. They, they can, no, I'm, I'm, I didn't know that. They can hover. And what eagles do is after the chicklets hatch, they, they don't build on top of a mountain because it's unsafe. They don't build in trees because it's too close to the ground and uh, too close to prey. So they build on cliff faces, usually very high up in places that you can only fly to, uh, you can't get to. Uh, and so what an eagle will do is as the chicks grow up, she starts to hover over the nest like a hummingbird. She'll just stay stationary and using, using her skill with, with the wind and the breeze and all of that, she will literally hover over those eggs. She's not protecting them. What she's doing is she's actually modeling for them what their wings are for. She's showing those chicklets that they were born to fly. So she's actually giving them an example for them to follow. And so if you study eagles, there's many times when you would see them do this at a certain stage in the chick's uh, growth and in their lives. But the birds, the, the problem is, is that the little birds are content with the nest. Even once they've grown to the place where they can fly themselves. I mean, life is good in the nest. They have a beautiful view, right? The mom brings them food all the time. 
And, and even though they have wings, they don't want to leave the nest. Sound familiar, parents, right? And uh, not in my case, but maybe in yours. Uh, and, and so what happens is despite all of the modeling and all of the examples that the eagle shows them, the chicks just don't want to leave the nest. So what happens is one day the mother eagle will come home and, and the, the chick's expecting food. One day she'll come and her beak will be empty and this is what she'll do. She'll take the first chick and she'll push it with her beak, nudge it to the edge and literally push it over the side, off the side of the nest. And that chick will start to free fall. And it will flap and it will use its wings because it's what it was made to do. It will start to use its wings, but it has no proficiency. So it is in a free fall. Now from that <clears throat> little chick's point of view, why is mom doing this? Right? And as that chick is free falling, as it's flapping and as it's, as it's floundering but still dropping quicker than it's lifting up, from its perspective, it's all alone and it's doomed. But you know, at the last minute when there's only a few feet left, at the last second, the mother eagle, which has been tracking uh, all the time with that baby, will swoop underneath it and on its pinions, on its back. It will swoop under that chick and the chick will grab on and the eagle will fly it back to the nest and deposit it there. Then the mother eagle will move to junior number two and give him a knockover. <clears throat> and she will do this over and over again. Over a period of days and weeks, that mother will come back from the nest, sometimes with food, but other times she'll start to knock the chicks out. And every time she knocks the chicks out, they get a little more proficient, a little more mature. There's a little more instinct and understanding. This is what my wings are for. So even when she knocks the chick out and it's able to go down and then start to ascend again and it doesn't need her, do you know what it does? It goes right back to the nest. It doesn't go hunt which it's capable of doing. It doesn't go find its own food. It doesn't leave the nest. It always goes back to the nest. So then what the mother does, you see in the verse it says that stirs up the nest. That's referring to what the mother does next. The mother starts to dismantle the nest bit by bit by bit. She starts to take the feathers out. Then she starts to pull the twigs out. And then all of a sudden there's nothing left. And the last pieces of that nest fall away. And what happens to the chicks? They have to fly. And they discover that they can fly. And they discover that as beautiful as the view is on the side of the mountain, as great as things were in the nest, there was something better. And what was once fearful, what was once they had no proficiency in, what was once something that they probably, you know, if, if in eagle language, cursed their mother for doing, they discover, this is what I was born to do. Because an eagle can get so much higher uh, into the sky and soar effortlessly in the sky and the view up there is so much better than even the view on the side of uh, the cliff but the chicks didn't know it and so the mother nudges them <laughs> and so chicks aren't made to nest sit they're made to soar and And that's what the, the Lord is saying in, in Deuteronomy to his people, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. And that's what he did when the Lord brought them out of Egypt. He stirred up that nest. We're going to see next week how even though Egypt was a place, you know, I saw something and I never put two and two together. You know in the 10th plague when the firstborn was killed? I, I've heard people say that's so unjust. How could God do that to the Egyptians? What kind of God does that? 
You know what? That's justice. What had the Egyptian pharaoh and the Egyptians been doing for years? Taking the males of the Jewish people, throwing them in the Nile River to drown or be eaten by crocodiles. It's justice, right? But God, God didn't only have to get his people free from the Egyptians, he had to convince his people to leave Egypt. So despite genocide, despite all of their children being killed, despite the fact that it was forced uh, slavery, despite the fact that the conditions were harsh and they were not a, a people yet, they were just slaves, God had to stir up that nest and practically force them out of Egypt towards a better place because it's all they knew. And we're going to look at that next week. And that is what God is saying to his people in verse 11. He He's saying, you know what? You kept coming back. Your heart kept coming back to you. You didn't want to leave Egypt. So I stirred up the nest. I took that option away from you. And I carried you to the place of promise. So, so one of my favorite preachers uh, says, says this every Sunday. After he's explained the passage, he asked the question, so what? That's great. Nice story on eagles. You know, I saw that once. David Suzuki pointed that out to me once, you know, on the nature of things. What does it mean for my life today? Well, for the last two, three days, the Lord has really been showing me some truths about myself, and I believe some truths about our church in that. Here's the first question. Where has God been nudging you? God has been nudging us. Maybe it was in the All In series. Maybe it's just been as in your daily walk with him, as you read his word, as you pray. It could have been two weeks ago when I talked about tithing, giving, giving your tithes and your offerings to the Lord, and God's been using that to nudge you. What area of faith is he telling you it's time to get out of where you're comfortable? Uh, uh, it's time. The, the nest is a good place. You realize that, right? The nest is a place of nurture. It's a place of grace. It's a place of growth. It's a place where God models for us and shows us who we are in him and what he's equipped us with it's a good place it's not necessarily bad but God starts to nudge us and and he starts to say what are you going to do with what I've given you right and I believe that's what the Lord has been saying to Parkway Church in what area of your life is he pushing you to step out of the comfort zone to leap into the realm of faith that quite frankly is uncertain has never you've never been there before it's absolutely brand new territory for you God's been nudging you there. Where is that in your life? Well, I spoke again at the end of last year, the All In series. Spoke two weeks ago on finances. We, we've just been, uh, I, and I think that there's times of, times of grace. The, the, Lord brought, the Lord brought me back to the All In series. The Lord said, there's a season of grace where he allows his word to, to penetrate our hearts. And we, th- yeah, okay. But the Lord says, I'm nudging my people to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And God starts to reveal to us how to fly, how to have breakthrough, how areas of our lives he wants to break us through. But usually the way that the prescription he gives us to break through isn't how we would do it because how we would do it is usually pain-free, cost-free, and there's no faith involved. Right? God, I'll start to tithe when you give me a $30,000 raise. 
And God says, that's not how you get financial breakthrough. You get financial breakthrough by taking a step of faith. Like those chicks, he nudges us to the edge. And we look down and go, that is a long way down, Lord. If this doesn't work, I'm going to crash and I'm going to burn. That's, that's how it feels when God nudges us. Is this, is this making sense this morning? And the mother eagle hovers and models. This is how it's done. And the Lord's shown us he wants us to be all in. The Lord's shown us that there's breakthrough. And in our quiet times, maybe in your discussions, in your scripture reading, in conversations with trusted friends, he's showing you, I want you to step out and fly. But we still so often uh, can ignore that nudging, right? But it's time to see, hear, and to know. Uh, th there is a time. There is a time to see. There is a time to hear, and there's a time to know. But then there's a time that we just have to do it. But like those chicks, man, when our nest gets comfortable, we like it there, right? And so, when we're out there, when we're out of the nest, it feels like you're falling. I think oftentimes a step of faith is immediately followed by, oh God, where are you? I took this step what are you doing? Just like those chicks when they're free-falling, they don't know that the mother's right there with them. In fact, she's just a little bit ahead of them. You know what? God has never let me hit bottom. Whenever I've taken a step of faith, I am scared to death. I wish he'd take away the fear, but usually he doesn't. If he took away the fear, then I wouldn't need faith. But he nudges me to the edge and he says, step out. And I go, oh God, there's nothing there. And the heart's pounding and, you know, but you take the step and you always find he's there. You always find that he's there. He will not let us hit bottom. He's with us. And if need be, he swoops down and he rescues us because he's always faithful to his word and he's always faithful to you. And sometimes the nudges come and they're not so gentle. Uh, situations and circumstances come and they push us to a place where we're forced out of our place of comfort and security. What we've always known suddenly has changed, maybe in a relationship, finances, family, job, or in our marriage. You know, and I think we can be so resentful we can be so resentful when God starts to allow the things that we run to. See, do you notice why the, the, the mother doesn't take apart the nest until the chicks are able to fly, right? The chicks just don't know they can fly. And when they do know they can fly, they still don't want to leave the nest. So the mother says, you know what? I have got to take away what you keep running back to in order for you to become who, I've, who you were created to be. And sometimes God allows the things in our lives to start to be dismantled so that we'll see that either there's a problem or if it's not a problem, but that we keep going back to that place of comfort, back to that place of security, and God says, I got to dismantle it because there's a new place I'm trying to take you. Right? Where do you run to for comfort? See, what we do is we hear a series like All In, and we say, yes, God, I'm all in. So we take a step of faith, and let, you've heard the term stepping out of your comfort zone, right? So we step out of our comfort zone. But do you, do you know what we do? We take a step. We do it for a day, for a week, for two weeks. Then we stop doing the things that we need to do, that God is there, and fear comes in, or old habits come back, or, or the old way. And what do we do? We run right back and get back into our comfort zone. 
I remember having a friend come preach at a church one time, and, and Matt stood up in front of the church, and he says, this is what God has for you as a church. God would say, stop stepping out of your comfort zone, because you keep going back. Change your comfort zone. Don't go back until the, the new place where God's brought you is your new place of comfort. That's the only way that we move forward. So we hear a series like All In, and we, we try it for a little bit, but then we start to go back. Here's the word of the Lord. And I'm not saying this harshly. I'm saying it honestly because God's been doing it to me. If we ignore the gentle nudgings, he may just allow some of those things in your life to be dismantled so that you don't have anything else to do but to rely on him. And it's not because God's some kind of mean ogre who's going, oh, I want you to depend on me. It's because the only place where we can truly have breakthrough, the only place where we can truly find life, the only place where we can ever be who he's created us to be and, and find the fulfillment and the life that is in him is by letting him be our all in all. And I thank God. Uh, so let's go back to 2013. We're in two services. Things are humming. We're understaffed. So Pastor Michelle and I and, and the team that God gave us are doing our best to try to keep up with this rapid growth that came and all of a sudden we're in two services we've never seen this many people before it's what are we going to do and we started evaluating success and it wasn't anything we did on purpose and it's not necessarily wrong but we started to just evaluate uh, because we we're just we didn't have a lot of time to evaluate because we we're busy but by excuse the language but butts in the seat and bucks in the plate obviously we're doing what God wants us to do obviously we're where God wants us to be because we keep growing and there's more money than there's ever been. There's more people than there's ever been. Obviously, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I've come to realize we weren't. It's not that we were doing anything wrong. But God was trying to move us on. And we were saying, why would we move on when things are good? Why would we take that step when things are good? So, so God just started to allow some of that to be dismantled. The butts in the seat and the bucks in the plate. And we stepped back and we said, God, are we really doing what you've called us to do? And in many areas we were. In many areas we were. But our focus turned just a little bit to areas. How many years has the Lord been saying to this church, this is going to be a place where people can come and find physical healing? Spiritual healing. Wholeness. Wholeness for marriages. Wholeness. The, the Lord spoke to me very early on and said, Jay, there's going to be people that come that feel burned by religion, burned by the church, and they're going to find healing and wholeness. And we've seen that. The Lord said, there's going to be people that come that just feel burned and broken by life. They're going to find wholeness. And I thank God that we've seen that. But you know what? To, to believe for people to be physically healed and then find Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior through it is a whole other realm of faith because it's something that either manifests, you see it happen, or you don't, right? Inner healing's like, oh, they're inner healed, praise God. And it's good, I'm not taking away from it. But physical healing, physical healing, signs and wonders, God, God confirming his word through a demonstration of the Spirit's power, that's a whole other realm of faith. And it's the realm of faith that most churches are missing. The world out there is telling us, the, and not just the world out there, churches are telling us that to stand on this and say it's true means we're stupid. 
more evangelical churches now are rejecting God's word as the authoritative word of God than evangelical churches are because the pressure to, to water down the message of Jesus, to water down the morality and the way that this tells us to live is tremendous even within the church, never mind outside of the church. So how do we tell a cynical people, this book is true, it's God's revelation to you, it will show you Jesus by being able to back it up with signs, wonders, and miracles, and backing it up by seeing physically what it says we can see. That's a whole other step of faith. Whole other step of faith. It's easier to build a theology around the things we don't see than it is to say, God, we're going to go hard after your word. And I'm going to be perfectly frank with you. When we were in two services, and, and this isn't to disparage anybody that was here, there was tremendous pressure on Pastor Michelle and I not to rock the boat. And it wasn't from anyone that's here, some people that were here, because, well, we don't come from a Pentecostal charismatic background, and, you know, and there was just tremendous pressure. We didn't cave into it. But I start to wonder... If God in his goodness and God in his kindness and mercy said, if you start only evaluating the health of the church by how many people are there, that will become the standard. And you'll stop asking, is this what you've shown us that you require of us? Does that make sense? So I think for years the Lord's been hovering over us. And we've been catching glimpses of the restorative work he wants to do in people's lives, in their souls, Folks, it's all about salvation. It's all about salvation. But man, along the way, God will heal the sick. God will restore lives. God, there is a hope that ultimately ends up in eternity, but there's a hope for this life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And it's time for you and I to step out and start saying, I'm part of the priesthood of believers. I have a message. It's the gospel of Jesus. I have healing. I have prayer. I have the power of God. I have the gifts of the Spirit in my life. It's time for us to start stepping out in that. And so sometimes God, <clears throat> I, I, again, I, I don't want you to mishear me. There was nothing inherently wrong with the growth that we had, and there was no intentions, and I don't think there's anything bad with it. I just know it's too easy because almost every pastor, every church leadership, every denominational group says that the ultimate goal is as many people as you can get and strong finances. People are souls, right? Souls are people. I agree with that. But along the way, we have got to do what he tells us we're to do. And I think God's been hovering over us, sending prophetic words about this being a place of healing. God's been hovering over us, talking and showing us that this needs to be a place uh, where we're a lighthouse, a, a, a refuge, a beacon of hope into this community, man. And again, you know, I was accused a few weeks ago of being too focused out there and not enough on caring for people. I hope that's not true. I, I really, every week you choose to show up, I say, Lord, please, they need manna from above. They need to be confronted with the life-changing power of Jesus. We, we want to make disciples. But folks, it's got to be about people out there. If people come here sick, they should be healed because that's what God's word says. And so, 
You know, there's that period of grace where God keeps telling us through prophetic words. He keeps telling us, and we keep saying yes. But like that mother bird, you know, the spirit. We, we even heard Ken Raymer say a few weeks ago what we've heard over and over again. I pulled in your parking lot, and I sensed the presence of God just on your property. Amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, it's so good we can bask in it. But I think the Lord's now saying, what are you going to do with it? And like that mother bird hovers over the chicks and they go, oh, do it again, do it again. That's great, that's great. And the mother goes, okay, enough of this. Nudge. You go and do it. The Lord's presence fills this place so he can fill you because you have something, a mandate from God. And in April, I'm just going to throw this out, in April... We are bringing a guy in named Roger Sapp. You can look him up. Roger Sapp does a weekend in a church. Friday night, he will heal the sick. More people are healed under his ministry than are not healed. If you, if you say, I want to see the miracle working power of God, you be here. He heals the sick. I've seen him do it on YouTube. <laughs> Saturday, Saturday, we're going to do a seminar. And I'll give you all the dates later. Saturday, and we're opening this up. We've got rates at the hotel. Saturday, he is going to do a seminar and teach how you're equipped to pray for the sick. How our church is equipped to pray and heal the sick, which leads people to salvation. And then he's going to tell us, now go do it. And then Sunday morning, we're going to have another healing service in a time of teaching. You know why? Because the Lord... The Lord said to me, he let things dismantle a little bit for a while in 2013 and 2014 so that this pastor could seriously ask God a few questions and say, God, are we really doing what needs to be strengthened and what do we need to let go? How do we, how do we determine the health of a church? How do we determine if we're healthy and doing what you've mandated us to do. And if we had to continued to go to that nest of like, man, we're growing so fast and so much in the last, we built this building and we filled it, we had to go to two services. Praise God, I do thank God for all of that. Does it, no one else? Like, you know, I think that was great. And I'm not saying we're not going to get there again, but that is no longer how I evaluate success. In our own personal lives, Breakthrough eludes us because faith for that area becomes a season and not a way of life. We need to change our comfort zone. The things that God is nudging us towards, we need to make the new paradigm for our lives. And stop going back to our old ways, our old habits, uh, the nest, the place that God has already nudged us out of. And again, it, it could be, uh, I think that whole last talk about where we were two years ago as a church is a good illustration because there was nothing wrong with that but God was saying I have something more for you and in our thinking we say well what can be more than the momentum and the two services and what can be better than that and the Lord says what can be better is is something deeper something more intimate something where each person see you know what you know what we've created in the church and I believe we've done it at Parkway too just because it's the way it is we've created a culture of spectatorship where we think serving God means we throw up a five-minute prayer in the morning, we go through our day, and then we go to church on Sunday. And we sit. Do you know why we're no longer in two services? Because of that mentality. I'll just shop around till I find what I like and what I want. And, and, we've, 
and that's not true in all cases. Oh, man. Isn't it amazing what Jesus did with 120 people? Jesus had at one point thousands. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children. 20 to 30,000 people. Woo! That's amazing. When he left, if you look at it on paper, he left a complete failure. 500 people saw him after his resurrection. 120 were left 50 days later. And you and I are here today because 120 people let God nudge them, let God say, you know what? It's not about the masses. It's about my spirit in each one of you doing what I have modeled, what I've equipped you to do, what I've called you to do, and what I've sent you out to do. They changed the world. So God allows the places where we're retreating back to crumble. And we say, God, what are you doing? A year ago, I said, God, what are you doing? A year ago, I said, Lord, I'm a complete failure. Lord, why have you allowed this to happen? Now I say, thank you, Lord, because you have something absolutely better for us. And it's not that it wasn't good, but he has something better. Hmm. I think that's good. That's better than how you're responding, but that's okay, you know. The people on the radio next week will be jumping off their coaches going, amen. So I think I'm probably pretty much done. I wanted, to share, I wanted to share with you kind of where we're at as a church because it's that time of year where I just I want to cast vision. But hopefully in sharing my journey as a pastor, and I have my personal journeys too. You realize that, right? It has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with me as a follower of Jesus Christ and as a husband and as a father. There's areas that God has pushed me out of where I'm comfortable and told me to step it up and trust him and move out in faith just as a a believer but hopefully as a pastor showing you a bit of the journey of what we've gone through as a church you can say yeah I'm seeing that pattern in my life I'm seeing that because when you're wholly dependent on him when you feel like you are falling and the ground is rushing up to hit you and you cry out, Jesus, I just want you to know he will not let you fall. He's there with you. And if, he, if he's nudged you, if he's allowed some things, and you say, okay, uh, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, what about my marriage? Are you telling me that my marriage is where it's at because God dismantled it? No, I think that in my life, in my relationships, in my finances, in my marriage, when it starts to get dismantled, it's just simply because there's human folly and people involved. But sometimes God allows it to happen, not, not because what's there is bad, but because what's there needs to be strengthened, what's there needs to be worked on. And how many of you know that it's so easy to neglect things? And then it's when it all hits the fan that the grace of God can come and restore, and make it, and build it into something new. Does this make sense? Sometimes we're even content, looking at the area of breakthrough, sometimes we're even content to allow destructive things to be the place where we run to. Sinful things, addictive things, and we keep running there to those things, and the Lord says, no, it's time. And he just starts to let that all crumble and fall apart, and, and in his grace and his mercy... Uh, that's when he can start to restore us. Did you hear what I said? In grace 
and in mercy. Not in judgment, in grace and in mercy. So that we'll stop settling for this and go after something that's just so much better. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the Lord put that on my heart this morning. I'm just going to share this, then we'll stop. Uh, I believe as a congregation, we are going to find our wings again. Because when God nudges you and God pushes you, it's only because there's greater heights to soar to. But let me also declare, because the Lord put this on my heart, some of you feel so broken, you say, oh, you say you don't hit bottom? I've hit bottom. No. You might be shattered. You might be broken, but you're not shattered. You might be empty, but he's going to fill you. So I'll just say that I believe for your life, you're going to find your wings again. I believe that maybe because of our own folly or because of what the devil has stolen, that we are going to see those things restored. You're going to see those things restored. Don't you just get so mad at the devil? I get so ticked off at the devil. And it's interesting looking in because when I look in and when I say your life, you know what I mean. Like, Pastor Roy, when I look in at your life and see what you go through, and I, and I see that you're disappointed or you're angry with God, I, there's the part of me that wants to say, it's not God. Except when I'm in the middle of it. And you're looking in at me, and I'm getting angry with God and disappointed with God, and you're going, Jay, it's not God. It's the enemy. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I just want to declare, you're going to find your wings this year. It is the year of the favor of the Lord. Yep. Year of Jubilee. Yep. When the year of Jubilee in Scripture was seven years. You were sold into slavery. Seven years you had to pay your debt. On that seventh year you were set free. And you were, your debt was totally paid and you could get on with your life. It is the year of Jubilee. It's the year of the favor of the Lord. I just declare that you're going to find your wings. And the broken things he is going to put back together. The empty places, he's going to fill them with himself. And the places where he's nudged you and moved you on, they're going to be more glorious than what you could have ever imagined. And right now you're saying, God, why are you moving me out of there? God, why are you allowing this to be dismantled? Oh, I want to say that by the end of the year you're going to go, this is why. Because my loving father had something better for me than I could ever hope, imagine, or think of, or even believe for myself. I just speak faith and belief into your life this morning. Listen, faith and life. I don't care how you got to where you're at. All that matters is today. And today God is saying he is going to restore. It's the year of Jubilee. It's the year of favor. If you're in a free fall right now, I just want you to know he is going to catch you and he is going to bring you to a new place. And all he's doing is just allowing you to understand that there's a new place of faith. And new faith means greater rewards and greater sense of his presence, okay? Well, I'm, I'm going to stop before I kill this if I haven't already. But I just, that's so strong in my spirit this morning. 
Lord, I just speak over every person in this room who feels like they have hit bottom. You've nudged them, or circumstances have come, and, and that, every, that nest, that place of security, that place of comfort, that, that place where they have sat has been dismantled all around them. I don't know if it's their finances, their emotions, their marriage, a child, a grandchild. I don't know what it is, Lord, but I just declare in the name of Jesus Christ that as they are falling, may they look and see that you are right there with them, and they're not falling, but you have them in the palm of your hand, and just like the eagle carries its young on the pinions of its back, Lord, in those times times when it seems like there's there's nothing underneath us those are the times that you're actually carrying us through to the land and the place of promise so I just declare that no one would give up I declare over lives today a spirit of tenacity that would say I will break through and I'm not going to give up till I break through and I'm not going back to a place of comfort and Lord if I go back to a habit to a person to a relationship to a thing that you're calling me out of dismantle it so I can't go back change my comfort zone, Lord Jesus, because I want what you have for me. I want your plans for my life because they're better than I could ever ask or imagine or hope for. And I just pray that spirit over people today. For those who are brokenhearted, may they not hear anything that is said today as being harsh, but they may they hear it from the heart of the spirit who would say, I love you. I love your family. I love you in the midst of your circumstances. I even loved you in the midst of your rebellion. Trust me. I have this. I have this. I've got it all under control. Just lean on me this morning. Speak that to their lives. Give them a vision like you did to me, Lord, in the, mid, the midst of that financial time when, oh man, that was the beginning of last year, Lord, and, and I had that anxiety attack, and God, I thought, I, I'm going to have to get out of the ministry if I'm ever going to survive this. And in that prayer meeting, you gave many of us that vision of Jesus. But he walked over to me and put his hand on my head and said, Jay, I've got this. And everything turned around. The situation didn't turn around right away, but my spirit found hope in my Lord. And my faith was strengthened as I was able to trust you. And you did turn it around. And I thank you for that. So come to your people today. Put your hand on their head. Jesus, lean into them and tell them, I've got this. I've got this. This is the turnaround year. The year of favor, the year of jubilee. Trust me, I have this. And I just pray blessing over every person that is here today, Jesus. Thank you for them. Thanks for listening to our message. If you'd like to learn more about Parkway Church, you can visit us online at parkway-church.com.